welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Eastside. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Can we show some love for the worship team? It's good to be with you today. Last time I was here, I had a scooter, and then before that, I had crutches, so I still have to sit, but I don't have anything on my foot, which I'm glad about. Yes, very. My wife especially is happy about that. (laughs) Uh, Well... We're going through the book of Acts, and so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2. As we head into uh, the last week of the month, um, we, this is our fiscal month, and so both at Eastside and Central, um, there's, there's a big need there, and so as you think about your giving towards the end of this month, would you consider that? I think there's still about a hundred thousand dollar need at Central at Eastside, and so uh, we just want to go into the next year in strength. And we would ask that you would pray about that and you'd step into that. Um, we've been in Acts for the last couple of weeks at both campuses, and Acts is this incredible book that is written by a man named Luke, and he's writing it as a letter to a guy named Theophilus, which I'm waiting for like when we do baby dedications for that name, but it just, no one's picking it. Um, But Theophilus had received the first letter from Luke, which was the Gospel of Luke, and Acts was the second letter that he wrote. And he, and he writes it to give a firsthand account of everything that Jesus said and did and what the effects of that were on his disciples. And so a couple of weeks back, we looked at how the Holy Spirit came on the 120 people that were waiting in the room at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes on them and they're filled with this power and this strength. They begin to speak in other tongues, and it's the same picture that we have in the Old Testament of when the Holy Spirit filled the temple and then filled the tabernacle, and now the Holy Spirit is filling this new place where God resides, which is in the individual people who have trusted Christ. Now, this is the new temple. This is the new family, the new humanity, and that's us. And and as they experience this, they stand up and they get, begin to speak in other tongues, other languages. And there's all these people there, and they hear in their own language the wonders of God coming out of these people's mouth. And it's about nine o'clock in the morning. And so some of them are just perplexed. They're like, what does this mean? Others are going, they've, they're just drunk, which, you know, they started early, and it's 9 a.m., and they're just ripping it up. Uh, But others were asking the question, what does this mean? And so that's when Peter stands up, and he preaches the gospel. And it's fascinating to me that, that I think for many times when people ask me about 
faith. Uh, I, I want to share my experience with them. I think it's important that we share our experience. But it's interesting to me that Peter doesn't talk about his experience hardly at all. He goes back to Scripture. He goes to the Old Testament and hits prophecy. And he goes, this Jesus Christ has fulfilled what was preached by Joel, by King David. Jesus Christ fulfilled that. The Holy Spirit is a promise that's being poured out. He talked about his own witness of being with Christ and the wonders that Christ performed. And as he, as he preaches this gospel, 3,000 people come to faith and they are just like transformed. There is this moment where in an instant the church is born and it goes from a, a great 120 to a mega church, like in one sermon. And you know those 120 were like, I liked it better the other way when it was just us in the upper room. And you know, <laughs> I, I knew everybody's names and we all spoke the same language, and right? <laughs> but I'm sure the apostles had to meet and discuss that. But what he gives us is this snapshot of the picture answering the question, what is the church? Luke's not trying to answer the question, what is the church? Luke is just writing down as an observer, this is the effect that the gospel has had on these people. And so that's where we pick up in verse 42. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And if you were to summarize this, this statement, you would say that, that their entire life became oriented around the person of Christ. That's what happened. They experienced this uh, radical experience of the Spirit, but they heard the news about Jesus. These are people who just a week before this same crowd was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And now they have met God in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, and their entire life is now oriented around the person of Jesus. That would be an understatement almost in terms, uh, in terms of the effect that Jesus had on their life. I think sometimes we think about Christianity in a world with so many alternatives to faith in God, in, in general, faith in anything, that we think about we, we must take up things like Christianity in the same way you take up tennis or you take up soccer or you take up some you're just like you know what I'm going to try that out for a little while and you take it up and then you put it down when you don't like it that's not what happened to these people right they didn't just 
take up Christianity for a season of their life or take it up on Sundays and put it down on Mondays or take it up on Easter and put it down for the rest of the year. Like, it took them up. And there's a radical difference between taking up Christianity and being taken up by Jesus. It's a radical difference. And and, and I think in our moment, in our cultural moment, it has been very much reduced to something that I take up, I put down, I define, I, I make it fit my life, my thoughts, my worldview. That isn't what Luke is writing about. Luke is writing about people whose entire lives were transformed and reoriented around the person of Jesus. And so he describes that here with a number of sort of pictures. He says the first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what are the apostles' teaching? Well, the apostles were told in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, I'm sending you out into all the world to preach the gospel, and I want you to baptize people. And they did that, right? They went out and they preached the gospel and people came to faith and then they did what he said. He's like, okay, we're supposed to baptize you. They baptize them. And then he says, and to teach them everything I have commanded you. And so that's what they start doing. The other characteristic about this community is this is a community of practice. Practice, not philosophizing. Not sitting around and discussing what they thought about such and such. They went, Okay, Jesus said we should preach this gospel. They didn't go, you know, let's, I need a book on how to do that. Like, is there a seven-step strip? What if we could take that and turn it into a little pamphlet or something? No, they just went, okay, stood up, preached the gospel. Then what do you do when people respond? You baptize them. Okay, you need to get baptized. They baptized them. Then they were like, now we're supposed to teach you everything he taught us. And they did. This was not a community of discussion. It was a community of practice. And and so many times we have drifted. I mean, the church throughout 2,000 years from this moment has its ups and downs, its highs and lows, its dark moments, its high moments. But in the moment that is most like this moment, it tends to get back to the very, very simple thing like putting into practice the life of Jesus within us. And that's what they did. And so they were asking themselves, what happened to us? Who is this Jesus? And, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't, uh, man, I have to like read my Bible, that's a bummer, but um, maybe I'll pick up, like, like I remember when I about first became a Christian, somebody was so stoked that they found the five-minute Bible. And the five-minute Bible was basically to sit on your toilet seat or something, but like you could read this Bible in five minutes. And I'm like, okay, that's, that doesn't sound like this to me. Like they weren't going, man, the five-minute, that's a lot. Is there a one-minute Bible version? Could I take, like out of my 1,490 minutes a day, could I give one of those to Jesus? All right. Right? That's not what he's describing here. He's describing a devotion that says, in my heart I am compelled, I'm drawn to. Other versions say they gladly sat at the teaching of the disciples because they wanted to know 
what had happened to them. They wanted to know this love that they encountered. They wanted to know this salvation that set them free. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we live in a moment where we know that the Bible is not like the word on the street. It's not a popular, it's a marginalized word. And I would say, sadly, that's true in the church as well, that the Bible is marginalized. And and the apostles' teaching, though, is all the church has ever really had. These, These apostles who walked with Jesus, they go on to write, Uh, letters, Paul's letters, Peter's letters, John's letters, Luke's letter, uh, Philemon and James, and right, these are all the teachings that were handed down to the church. And that's all we really have to devote ourselves to when it comes to authority and who God is and who we are and what this whole thing is supposed to look like. And so they have this inward desire that draws them to the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And I think it's important that we allow this this letter, this picture that Luke writes for us to, to, to search us, to prick our heart, to make us aware of like, what is that how I feel about the scriptures? Is that how I feel about the truth? of what Peter and Paul and James and John wrote about? Or if I somehow wanted to twist and tweak and change this into something else? If you take away the apostles' teaching, you take away the entire church experience from here forward, right? And I don't know what makes us think that if we we took it away now, that would would not have the same effect. So after this, then we see the effect of that teaching was that they had a fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. After they hear the teaching, it has this effect on them. And they begin to like spend time together and know that you are my brother and you are my sister. There is a fellowship here that is so pure and beautiful because it's a fellowship of Christ and a fellowship of the Spirit. I think for, for many of us, we believe that if we were to get rid of the apostles' teaching and we kept the fellowship, the breaking bread, the prayer, and, and hanging out together, that would make the church better. It would make the church more appealing. But I don't know what you actually end up with. Like, yes, we can gather together, but who are we gathering together to worship? Who are we gathering together to celebrate? What is the freedom that I'm actually celebrating? And who gives it to me? I I wasn't raised in the church, so I would rather stay in bed on Sunday if Jesus didn't die and raise from the dead. I'll hook up with you all on the week, you know, like let's grab something to drink. But Sunday, like don't get up on Sunday if he didn't rise from the dead. But if he did, then I better get my to church, right? Because that that's 
everything. That means my everything is connected to this gathering. And so they had a devotion, and that devotion crossed cultures and crossed attitudes and crossed experiences and opinions so that the fellowship that they had, even though they spoke different languages and they were different people, that it was this pure spirit fellowship. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but there is nothing sweeter and more life-giving than being with people that you may not have anything in common with and you know them and you know them because Christ knows them and Christ knows you. One of my best friends in the world is a man named Celestine Musakira who grew up in Rwanda, who went through the genocide and, and I mean within five minutes we were like soul brothers and we had nothing in common at all right? Like, I grew up in California. He grew up in Rwanda. It's very different. But, but he had this sense that, he, like, we both experienced, like, we are sharing the same life. You, the, the life that sustains Celestine is the life that sustains me and the life that sustains you. I always laugh because we go out to, went out to dinner that day, and we're, the waitress is serving us in he says, we are brothers, different mother, same father. <laughs> and I'm like, very true. <clears throat> she just looked at us like, wow, that <laughs> father, okay. <laughs> but, but you get the picture that there's a fellowship here that is different than what I think culturally we have accepted as fellowship. We look at affinity and we call that fellowship. We look at people who share the same opinions and thoughts and ideas. We vote the same. We like the same bands. We have, like, that's fellowship. And that's not biblical fellowship. That's affinity. And Jesus didn't need to die and rise from the dead so you could, like, you too or some other band, right? Like, that didn't need to happen. And so when we think, if we could just get that truth out of there and get that sort of teaching out of there, then we'd have the real fellowship. I don't know what we'd really have, though, because what they shared was a fellowship that was driven by an experience of God in me, the hope of glory, an experience of I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and Christ lives in you. And so we are brothers, we are sisters, right? We are family. And they knew that. We call these practices at Imago to hear and obey the word and spirit. We call this practice hospitality, that when we get together in this big group and in this small group, whether it's home communities or small groups or in your house, that there is space at the table for Christ and the other. When they broke bread, it said fellowship and breaking of bread, we do communion with bread and wine, but every meal for them was sort of communion. They would break the bread and drink the wine. They'd eat the meal and they'd remember that Christ was crucified. He is their king. He is their savior. And they would celebrate that meal. That sense of hospitality would break out into prayer together, that we didn't just come together to, to, to eat but we came here 
to fellowship, meaning that Christ is in the middle of it, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to love and worship Jesus together, and we're going to remember who he is and what he did for us together. And it's, it's very easy for us to reduce hospitality to just good friends, good beer, and good football, right? And we call that fellowship of the saints <laughs> and the cowboys, right? <laughs> but this is something different. And I think God is inviting us at Imago and in Portland to say, would we go deeper with Jesus? Would we take our fellowship to a place where when we are hanging out and drinking whatever, that we would bring up our faith, that we would pray for each other, that we would stand in this place of gratefulness and worship, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So we need Jesus. And the effect of that was there was this sense of awe and wonder, and the Spirit was alive and at work, and these miracles are being performed. It says all, to, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This other practice that we share at Imago is generosity. And for them, it was this very intense reality. For many of these, this, this picture of the church, these are Jewish believers. And as Jewish believers, they would have gotten kicked out of the synagogue, some of them. They would have lost homes and jobs and, and a lot of that support if they trusted Christ. And so they find themselves literally in dire straits. And other people would go out and they would go, okay, we have means. We're going we're gonna to sell something. We're going to go find some of our, we're going to liquidate and we're going to meet those, those needs so that everyone was, was, had everything in common, not communism. This is a theocracy. This is Jesus at the center. He's our king and therefore we aren't possessed by our possessions we're possessed by Jesus, and our possessions are at his feet, and they're free to be given as he calls us to. And it's, again, a community of practice, right? Jesus said, if you see someone in need, you meet the need, right? You give them, you, you got two coats, and they don't have any, you give them one. And we want to go back and go, wow, what, what is the Greek for coat, and what... What is the cultural context for that? And is that really what? And, that's, and these guys didn't. They went, okay, he said, give him a coat. I have two here. And they went, awesome, thank you, thank Jesus. Yes, miracles happen. We're like, hmm, I want to read a book about that before. I mean, I don't want to just go be generous until I figure it out, right? They were a community of practice, and we're called to practice generosity. It's why we do change for a dollar in Advent Conspiracy. It's why we tithe $300,000, $400,000 off of the parking lot sales, because we're to live not possessed by our finances, but possessed by Jesus and free to bless the city. And so here we are in our own moment with our own need, and God asks all of us, will we be generous? But it's a practice, not a philosophy. 
So they hear and obey the word in spirit. They have hospitality, generosity. And then in verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. It was this this celebrate, you know, our practice is celebration and Sabbath. We're not inventing anything. We're taking it out of this passage. They, they had a life of celebration, a life of worship. And, and, and they continued in it. It says they continued to meet together. Again, it wasn't something that they took up once a month, once a year. And I know as a community of faith, we live in a time where time is the most precious thing. And many of you have families and young kids, and you don't feel like you have that kind of time. But the average uh, attendance for a large part of our congregation is 1.8 Sundays a month, right? Now, I'm not, I don't care that much about church attendance. Again, if he didn't raise from the dead, I'd sleep in. But he did, right? But he did. And, and I don't want to mess, uh, you know, I have all people wouldn't preach hard, like guilt-bearing stuff on this issue. I would simply ask, though, is meeting, continuing to meet together to celebrate with God's people Is that at the top of our priorities? If my life is going to be oriented around Jesus, and I'm going to experience this kind of spiritual life with Christ, then that has to move up a little bit in priority. And I know it's 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 hard when you have, especially when you have kids, elementary school and all that, and you're like, well, my kid has to play soccer like every week all year long and otherwise they won't play in height like I went through the all my kids graduated from David Douglas you know what the bummer part was too we went on so many baseball like oh I can't preach that week we have to go on this uh four-day tournament to this and that and then freshman year he's like I don't want to play anymore I'm like what like you were you're supposed to go pro and pay me back for all the gas money and stuff. Like, you did. I'm just saying, put it in perspective this moment, right? That it is okay if you miss a game. I'm just asking is our attendance, is our meeting together here and throughout the week, does it look like this? And this wasn't a have to for them. This was a get to. This was a must. This was, I must be with the people of God. I must hear his word. I must pray because it is my life. Not out of guilt, but out of get to, right? And then it says, they praise God, enjoy the favor of all people. And you get this picture of what they did outside of their meetings, right? We call this uh, the practice of vocation, meaning as you work and go to school and do your life outside, how are you facing and interacting with the people around you? And the picture that we're given here is that they felt favor towards the followers of Jesus. 
That favor could come from a number of reasons. What has happened to you? Your life's transformed. You're a different person. There's some experience that they're having with these disciples that is attractive to them. Now, we know persecution comes in a couple chapters. But they were faithful beyond the gatherings to live out this life of joy and praise. And there was something about that, how they did their vocation, that God said, yeah, I am going to draw people into my kingdom through you, through the way you do your job, through the way that you live your nine to five, through the way that you carry yourself in your neighborhood. I am going to draw men and women to myself through you. And the Lord adds to their number every day, all who are being saved. And so I think it's important for us as we move on from chapter two to take a minute and ask ourselves, like, how far have we come? And is it really evolution or deterioration, right? And the only thing about that we can do, and this is the greatest gift of the gospel, is that he calls us all the time, everywhere, to just repent when we find sin in our hearts and in our lives. If we confess our sins, John tells us he is faithful and just, he'll forgive our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. And so as we sit here today before this picture, and it it is held up to us like a mirror, And I know, man, I fall short here, God. And that I am not devoted to your word. And I don't fellowship. I don't cross the street. I don't cross the barriers to experience the blessing of being with my brothers and sisters. Or I don't move past Sunday. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's doing in you, I think a first step for us is to invite the Spirit to search our hearts to be willing to confess, God, take this from me, forgive me for this, and fill me with that devotion and that desire and that gratitude for the new life that you have given us in Jesus Christ, for making us this one family. May we be a church that practices our faith as they did. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you in the name of Jesus. And uh, Father, I ask that as, as we meet together here in this space, would you by your Holy Spirit come and would you search our hearts for me, for all of us, God? We know that this picture in Acts chapter 2, we aspire to it, but it's so many ways we are different than it. And a lot of those differences, God, are not helpful differences. Would you make us a people that are devoted to your word, a people who are devoted to having an open home with you at the center, God, a people who are devoted to to not being possessed by our possessions, but to, to serve you, God, with a generous heart. Would you make us a people, God, who gather together in anticipation that you are doing marvelous and wonderful things. Would you make us a people of celebration? 
God, as we live the rest of our life outside of these gatherings, our vocation, our calling, God, would you make us that attractive uh, offering that we would have favor with all people, God, and that, Jesus, you would add to this body people who would come to be saved by Jesus. Father God, we just invite you by your Holy Spirit to search us today. And maybe just take a couple minutes and just listen to the Spirit as the Spirit prompts you to confess sin, just tell him, just hand that up to him. So allow the Spirit to search our hearts this morning. Jesus, as you want to have your way with us in this place, in our life, Father, we invite you through the Son, by the Spirit, to come and begin to reorient our lives around the center, the person of Christ, and that we would be a community of faith, God, that reflects the power, the revival, the spiritual fervor of that early church witness that Luke writes about. Father, it's not about going forward. It's about going back, going back to our roots, going back to where we began, going back to the simple things, but the deep things of God. So God, would you set us free to be a faithful witness, a prophetic witness? God, would you unite our hearts to to deeply and truly believe once for all that we have nothing apart from you and that you are our life and that we are hidden in you and that we share that deepest and most truest part of us with one another. So come in power. May you be pleased to rest here, to do many signs and wonders and miracles among us, God. And would you spread the message and the witness throughout all of East Portland and beyond, God. We pray that we would be able to celebrate the many who are being saved because of our Christ that is risen, ascended and reigning, and that we live by faith in the power of the Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.